Last time we were together, we talked about, I asked you the question, how well do you know God? And tonight I want to uh, take that a, a step further and ask you, do, do you know where he lives? If you, if you know somebody and you may know a few things about them, but if you, if you know where they live and you've been to their house, that's, a, that's another step, amen? So tonight I, I want to ask you, do, you, do you know where God lives? And uh, help with the Lord's Word tonight and, and the Holy Spirit, we hope to bring uh, some scriptures to light that, that will help you and uh, it, it, be able to, to just know more about who He really is. If you have your Bible, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background about Corinth. Uh, it was a, a major city uh, during its time there, uh, and in, in Greece it was a, a capital city. Two-thirds of the population were, were slaves, and it uh, had many temples and uh, just uh, so many different religions and so many uh, different, uh, different groups of people. I mean, it was just very, very eclectic in the, in the culture there. And, and Paul writes to this, to this church, and there's some things that he wants them to absolutely know for sure about their salvation. And, and he writes here in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, he says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. He makes a distinction here of a, of a couple of things. He says, first of all, I want you to know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I want to look at tonight some different temples, the places where God had dwelt. And you do understand and you know now that if you're saved, the Holy, Holy Spirit abides in you and you are the temple of God. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. Uh, but in the New, New Testament, He has a people for His temple. Amen? And he, he goes on to say, he says, I want you to understand that you're not your own. And we've been, again now, that's important that I told you that earlier, two-thirds of the population were slaves. And he was saying that you are a bond slave, if you would, of Christ Jesus. He said, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He, he makes a distinction there. And even in, I believe it is Hebrews 4 and 12, the writer talks about the word of God dividing uh, the, the soul and the spirit. And I've often thought growing up and being a young Christian and, and even asked some people, what's the difference between your soul and and your spirit and i've been basically told it was the same thing that there's not really a difference well i'm i believe if god's word makes a distinction and you look into god's word then i believe there has to be something different so i want to kind of dwell on that and look at that tonight and and i want to show you kind of the pattern of god and and just how how he works and 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 god is uh, a lot of people say you can't understand God's ways or His thoughts, and certainly you can't. But God is a God of patterns, and and I'm going to show you some things uh, here tonight. Go with me first in, in the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, uh, chapter five, and I want to show you just a just a little, little a few little things there. And let's begin reading in about uh, verse number fifteen. He says, "See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men." We could take a 30-minute recess and just preach that right there, man, that if we would just stop rendering evil for evil. But I'm not here to talk about society or talk about politics, but what a, what a good, what a good uh, way to live if we would employ that. He says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. 
18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and your soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He points out three very different things there. He said that you be preserved blameless in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. Our body, that's not hard to figure out. Our body is our physical body, our, our flesh. That's, that's our sinews, our muscles, our everything about us. That's what you see is our body. I, I know that you didn't expect us to get that deep tonight, but that's, that's, that's that one. And then our soul would be our... Uh, our emotions, it's our, uh, it's our thought process, it's our sense of humor, it's, it's the thing that kind of, the little uh, idiosyncrasies that make us who we are, is our soul. And then our spirit is that part of us that enables us uh, to know God. And it's that part that will live with God forever. It is our spirit. Now, uh, as we get look here and dig a little deeper, I hope to be able to bring some of this more to light and you'll have a little better understanding. But first I want to, again, ask you where does God live? And let's look at the, the primary dwelling of God. By primary, I don't mean the main. I mean like a primary grade, the, the fundamental place, the first place uh, that God lived. And Adam being the primary, I want you to see that he was designed, and he was defiled, he was desolate, then he was destroyed. Remember that pattern. I'll bring it out to you again. First of all, uh, Adam was designed. You know in Genesis, that he said that, let us make man in our image. I believe that God was talking to Christ there. I believe he was talking to the Holy Spirit. I think the three were one. They're inseparable, but they're also their own entity. And he said, let us make man in our image. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it says that he took took of the dust and he formed him. He designed him, but then he breathed into him the breath of life. And it says man became a living what? Soul. That's where he got his identity, his his, 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 his mind, his concepts, and things that he would believe. What made Adam, Adam, would be his soul. But he, he designed him. But then, Adam, we know, after he was designed, he was defiled. And we know that the serpent came in there in Genesis 3 and, and, and used the, literally the, the Word of God as what he used to, to trick Adam. He, he didn't use any type, of, any type of sin. He didn't use uh, some big thing that we, would, that we label as, as terrible sin and bad sins. And, and we, have our, we have our levels. We think this person's a really bad sinner and this person just sins a little bit. And, and I'm okay. I don't sin as bad as they do. But uh, the Bible teaches me if you offend at one point, you're guilty of all. So in God's eyes, sin is sin. But he was, he was defiled there and he was just disobedient into what God told him to do. We know the story there in Genesis 3. But then he becomes desolate. That means that he was no longer... The Bible says that, that God walked with Adam. It says in the cool of the evening, the cool of the day, that God came and walked with Adam. Now, I don't think that that means that God took Adam by the hand and walked with him. I think it was a spiritual thing that God had with Adam. And in Genesis 3 and 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden, uh, garden of Eden to till the ground... From which he was taken, verse twenty-four. So he drove out the man, the man, that, the man that he placed at the east of the garden of the, of the Eden cher- cherubims or angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You see that he was desolate. God, 
had a place and created a place for Adam for him to commune with him and for him to be with him and God would visit with him and he, he talked with him but then Adam sinned and then that garden became desolate. God had to separate himself because of sin. That, my friend, is what we mean when we say we're dead in our sins and our transgressions. It means that we do not have a relationship or a connection to God. In verse uh, uh, number 19 of Genesis 3, we see the destruction. God tells him, he says, For dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. So we see that he was designed, he was defiled, he was desolate, and ultimately he was destroyed. But now we, 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 we understand, here's where it gets confusing, and I, I want to break this down for you. In Genesis 2.17, God tells Adam, For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Was that not what God said? The day you eat of that, you're going to die. Well, here's the problem. Adam didn't die that day. Adam lived according to, I believe it is, to Genesis 5, verse 5, that Adam lived 930 years. So did he die that day or didn't he? Is God a liar or not? God is not a liar. Adam did die that day. He didn't die physically. He died spiritually. Listen, he died. He died immediately in his spirit. He died progressively in his soul. And he died ultimately in his body. So whenever God said, thou shalt surely die, whenever he sinned, immediately. Now this is important. You get this. Immediately, his spirit, he was dead. His body was still alive. His body died progressively. But ultimately, it would die. Yes, it took him 930 years, but he did ultimately die. Now, keep that in mind. I'll come back to that, and it'll, it'll make a lot more sense to you here in a minute. You want to see how the pattern of God. So there we see the, the, the primary place, or the first place that God dwelled. And then we see uh, the pattern, or the, the pattern where God dwelled, would be the temple. God moved them, uh, uh, moved them into his temple and it had three main parts. And boy, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't think that we could ever preach the temple enough. It's a picture of Christ. It is, I'm telling you, just how it was laid out, everything about it is just, it just fascinates me for the candlesticks to the, to the altar, uh, uh, everything about it. It had, it had basically three parts. God is big on threes, body, soul, and spirit. The temple had three parts, the inner court, the outer court, and the holiest of holies. In the inner court, it would be kind of like what we have in here. It, 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 it's, it's where they would go to, to kind of fellowship and to, and to worship. The outer court is where they would have uh, the sacrifices. But the holiest of holies is where the priests would go in. You fellas know this. And it's where the, the day of atonement would be. And it was, first of all, you need to see that it was also designed. In Exodus 26, God gives them very clear instructions. I mean, right down where we could build it today. He tells them what to, how to make it, how tall to make it, what curtains to use, how, what dimension it's supposed to be, what kind of skins are supposed to be on it. It was designed, but it was also defiled. Look with me in Matthew chapter 21 and see how, what, how Christ describes this and talks about this temple. In Matthew 21, well, I should have had my glasses. Matthew 21 and verse number 12. It says, And Jesus went into the temple of God, listen, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. The temple had become defiled. What they were doing was they were trying to just buy their sacrifice instead of doing it God's way. My friend, let me tell you something very plainly. 
You'll never be able to buy your way into heaven. There's no substitute for God's plan. That's what they were doing. They were substituting God's plan. Now look at this, how this is worded in verse 13. It says, And he said to them, It is written, My house, or I believe if you read over in Luke's gospel, it says, My father's house. But look here. He said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He said, You have destroyed my house. You have, dest- you have defiled my temple. Here's the problem. They did not repent of that. They kept right on using that temple, showing up for worship, showing up to do things, my friend, uh, that, that was so religious, but there was, God was not involved in it. I wonder today how many of our churches may have huge crowds or may have no crowds. It's really not about that. But they're showing, they're coming up religiously because it's church time, because they want to check their religious box, and they're not coming to worship. I have tried to instill in people's hearts that church is only a time for us to come and to worship and and praise God for what He's done for us. It's it's not a place, it's not where you go on Sunday morning because you got a terrible social life. It's It's not because you don't have any other friends and it's where you come to find your friends it's the temple of god it's the house of god that we come and we worship him and listen when we when we start to defile that and when we start making it anything else god is not in it and i'll be honest with you i don't want to pastor a church i don't want to attend a church i don't want to be a part of a church that's not based upon god's word and where god is not in the house Now, you may be able to have the best singers and may be able to have the best speaker, the best order, or, or even the, the somebody that fits all the modes of what a preacher's supposed to be. But give me the Holy Spirit. Give me God's presence. I'll take that any day over applause, over, over, just, uh, over the emotional feelings. I want to know that God is in the house. Amen? Amen? They kept right on. They defiled His temple. It was desolate. Looking over in verse, uh, chapter 24. Look at how this progresses. In verse number uh, 1. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him before to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be overthrown. He said, This is going to absolutely be destroyed. This, is, this temple is going to be destroyed. One more thing I want to show you here in, in 23 and verse uh, 37. Look at this. Now remember, I told you back, Jesus said, my, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, or my house shall be called a house of prayer. Look at the language here, how he, what he says it now in verse 37 of Matthew 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent, sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her, her wings, and ye would not. He said, I wanted to hold you. I wanted to protect you. Oh, Jerusalem, I wanted to be everything for you, but I wasn't, didn't look like you wanted me to look. I didn't come the way you wanted me to come. I wasn't what you wanted me to be, and you rejected me. But look at the next part of this. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. He didn't call it his house no more. He didn't call it his father's house anymore. He said, It is your house now. My friend, all they had was a building, and ultimately it was destroyed. But it was designed it was defined, and it was desolate. Do you see the pattern? But then ultimately, after you see the primary house, and after you see the house that was a pattern, I want you to see God's perfect house. God's perfect house. And it comes to us very plainly in John chapter 2. Look at this in verse number 19. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was God's perfect temple. 
Wow. Was he designed? 100%. The way that he was designed and, and everything about his birth prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Yes, Jesus Christ was absolutely designed. Was he defiled? We say Christ didn't have never sinned. We say that he was, we don't say the word of God says that he was tempted at all points yet without sin. We know that he was God's perfect sinless lamb. Amen. But was Christ defiled? Yes, he was. Yes, he was by my sin. Isaiah tells us in uh, 53 and 6, he says, We like sheep have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. He had my sin on him. He had my iniquity. He had my transgressions. So God's perfect lamb, God's perfect temple was defiled for me. He took my sin Amen. to the cross. And listen, church, not just my bad sin, not just my little sin, but all of my sin. Not my sin up until the day I got saved. And not my, every sin that I ever did or ever will do, thank God Almighty, was laid upon Him. I defiled Christ. I defiled the temple by my sin. But oh, what a love He has uh, for us. And First Peter, I love what Peter says in First Peter 2.24. says, Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. Now let me tell you, that healing is not just a physical healing. Matter of fact, he's not speaking of a physical healing at all. But thank God that he does heal us physically. I look around and I see some people that God has certainly healed. But this healing that he's talking about is a spiritual healing. It is where that we were broken in Adam, but we were mended in Christ. Thank God Almighty. He was designed. He was defiled. And he was desolate. When he's there on the cross, he is quoting scripture from the book of Psalms. But he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I wonder, my friend, how that must have felt for the first time ever, him to be separated from the Father. For the first time ever, him to cry out, My God, my God. He knows what it feels like to be us. He knows what it feels like. He, he bore our sins and our pain. He knows what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be man. Absolutely, He does. He was designed. He was defiled. And He was desolate. And we know that He was destroyed. He died on the cross. He didn't just fake His death. That's what the, 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 those that crucified Him thought He would do. That's what the Romans thought He would do. They said, we better just put a stone there just in case He's faking. Amen. They were so worried that he wasn't really dead. And Isaiah 53.10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And in Romans, I believe, is chapter 8. It talks about that, that God who spared not his own son. My friend, Christ was defiled. And Christ was desolate. And Christ was destroyed. But thank God he didn't stay that way. Thank God he didn't stay that way. Can you imagine what hell must have thought whenever he died? Can you imagine one of those demons, how they must have went and said, we finally won, we finally won. But thank God for three days later. Thank God for the resurrection. And thank God for the power of the resurrection. I like what Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So now we see his, his primary place and we, we see the, the, the pattern of the place and we see the perfect place. But now I want you to get this tonight. All that, my friend, is introduction. I want you to see, Brother Brian, he has a permanent place. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians now. 
2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I, I love this verse in verse 16. This is, this is one I want you to remember. This is one that I want you to, to put on your refrigerator. This is one I want you to, to be reminded of and get in your heart. And, and let me tell you, I'm going I'm to make some folks uncomfortable. But 2 Corinthians 6, 16, it says, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? <laughs> For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Thank God Almighty, my friend, that we are the temple of God. Look at that again. And what, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? We, we don't have an agreement with this world. Our our, our uh, our goals ought to be different. It, uh, our, our, our glory, as we talked about from Jeremiah 9, is not in wisdom. It's not in might. It's not in riches. But it's all in Him. That is foreign to the world. And then He says, For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. The word dwell there literally means an establishment. I will set a settlement. Now, Kurt, he didn't say, he's not leaving this time. He moved from Adam. He moved from the temple. And listen, he, he is not leaving me. He is not He Christ dwells in me. And he is not He said, I will never leave you. Thank God Almighty. He says that you are my temple. He says, I will dwell in them. And not only, he says, if I establish you and I make an establishment there or a, or a ground there or a dwelling place there or a place that I own, Brother Steve, a place that I've marked, he says, not only am I going to dwell with you, I'm going to walk, listen, in them. Thank God Almighty. Not only does Christ not walk with me, he walks in me. Thank the Lord for that. And he says, and God will and, and God will be their God, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What a, what a wonderful promise. Now remember, uh, uh, it's God's permanent place. In Ephesians 3.17, it tells us that God dwells in our hearts by faith. Thank God for that. Not by works. Not by, not by anything else other than faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the sermon tonight. Three things I want you to see about God's permanent dwelling place. And I'm, they're going to be quick. First of all, when it comes to salvation. When it comes to salvation. We think salvation is us getting man to heaven. That's what we think salvation is. That's not salvation. Salvation is getting heaven to us. Salvation is not me waiting to go to heaven. Salvation is heaven coming and dwelling in me. Heaven is just the, 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 the reward or just the, just the end result. But my friend, I want you to understand there's so much more to salvation than just going to heaven. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am justified. I am saved. And He dwells in me. And He walks in me. That is salvation, my friend. It's not waiting and just enduring this old world and, and hoping for better things and, and just grinding it out and, and barely getting by. No, my my friend, heaven dwells within us. God lives within us. So your salvation is so much greater than what you can imagine. Not only do you see it in your salvation, uh, and this is where some folks are going to get upset. I want you to see it in your security. 
I want you to see it in your security. We, we think that, that we, 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 we're afraid of this word. We're afraid to say that, that he established up and keeps us. There's so many people that walk a tightrope of religion and say, I didn't do enough today. God is done with me. Or have I sinned? Listen, why in the world? What did Christ die to take care of? My sin. So listen, that's why I have security in him that I can save. And if he saved me, bless God, he can keep me saved. Amen. I am kept by the power of God. And I know I'm going to get some looks. I know I'm going to get some eye rolls. Go ahead and send the email. Bubby Davis at iCloud.com. And I will be glad to walk you through Scripture and let you see that it is Christ and Christ alone. I am secure tonight because of Him, Kurt, and not because of me. I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes I've lived to make it to heaven. But I am kept by the cross. Something happened to me at Calvary. I am crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Went better than I thought it would. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then ultimately, in our sanctification. Now remember Adam, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam didn't die right away. He did immediately spiritually. He did progressively, physically, and he did, or, or in his soul, but he did ultimately in his body. The reverse happens to us. When we get saved, the reverse happens to us. Listen, we're justified immediately in our spirit. When we're saved, the moment we ask Christ to forgive us, our spirit, my friend, we are saved. Thank God for that. That that part is not a process. That getting saved is not learning more about God. It's not trying harder. It's not stopping this bad habit. It's not getting sober. It's not quit cussing. It's not stop homosexuality. It's not stop breaking this addiction. That is not what saves you. It is when you ask Christ to save you. Could three people raise a hand and say amen? Amen. Immediately our spirit, progressively in our soul, our thoughts, our actions, our behavior, It's a progression. It's a progression. And so many people, when they fall short, when they mess up, when they do something, they think, man alive, what's the point? What's the point? How can he love somebody like me? And the devil sets and he just salivates at that and rubs his hands and laughs at people because they don't understand that it's a process. Listen, I hope that I'm a better Christian now than I, than I was last year. And I hope with God's help that I'll be a better Christian next year than I am now. I hope I have more revelation about who God is. I hope I have more understanding of Scripture. It is a process. Amen. And then ultimately, we're justified immediately in our spirit. We're sanctified progressively in our soul. And ultimately, we'll be glorified in our body. One of these days... This, 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 this mortal is going to put on immortality. Listen, I don't understand. I'll be honest with you, folks. Maybe I should know better and have it all figured out. I don't really understand a whole lot about what our body is going to be like. But I know I'll be like him. I know I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord. I know that I'll have no pain. I know I'll have no sorrow. I won't have any hurt. I know there'll be no wheelchairs there. I know I won't have to help my dad up there. Thank God Almighty that we'll have a new body. Listen, we're not going to be angels. So stop posting that Mama got her angel wings today. No, she didn't. Mama is not sitting around on a harp. She's not on a cloud playing a harp. So many people get their theology from Tom and Jerry. I'm telling you, God's not going to make it. We're, we're better than angels. Amen? We're, better. we're going to have a song the angels can't even sing. 
Oh, thank God for that promise. Thank God for that promise. I'm thankful tonight that it's not based upon how, how I look, how I feel, what I can accomplish, but I'm a permanent dwelling place of Christ. Hello, friend. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It really means a lot to me, and I really appreciate you. If you'd like to send me some feedback, you can do so by email. Uh, You can email me at bubbydavis at icloud.com. But thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast again. I really appreciate it. I pray that it will help you to know God, to find freedom in Jesus, to discover your purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the lives of those around you. The last couple of podcasts, I have been um, talking and teaching and preaching about knowing God. And knowing God intimately and personally Despite of our preconceived notions, despite what our denominationalism uh, may come into play, our traditionalism, but to really know God, friend's freedom, and knowing who God really is and understanding how much He loves you when He proved it on Calvary's cross. Today, I just want to look at a few places in God's Word to help you gain, uh, again, some more understanding about the kind of God that we really serve. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, I want to just look at a couple of verses there and, and just help you to, again, see... Uh, that God is good. Uh, that's probably what I'll t- uh, entitle this this episode. Is just that God is good. We sometimes have uh, a thought process that when we don't do enough, when we aren't, aren't a good Christian, quote unquote, when we don't do all our religious deeds, that God gets mad at us and punishes us and takes His love away from us. And uh, there's a lot that even believe He'll take our salvation, and that by grace is just not enough. Uh, it's like it's conditional, but uh, thank God that His His grace for me is is not based on who I am, but who He is. But Deuteronomy two, uh, verse number seven says, "For the Lord thy God has blessed thee in all thy works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness these forty years. The Lord thy God had been with thee; thou hast lacked nothing." Isn't that awesome? That uh, for forty years, forty years they wandered in the wilderness. They're experiencing God's judgment. Don't don't forget that. Due to their disobedience, uh, the children of Israel were experiencing God's judgment. But even in God's judgment, we see His grace. You would think almost that this would be a typo in our Bible. that it says at the end of that verse number 7, Thou hast lacked nothing. So many people have the view of God that God is going to throw them in the wilderness, make them wander, not supply for them, not take care of them. Uh, this is really summed up best, I think, in Nehemiah. Nehemiah kind of gives a recount of this in Nehemiah chapter number 9. And as I turn there, you can probably hear my pages turning. But uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse number 7. Let me read to you just a few things. There'll be a lot of reading today. So uh, here we go. Nehemiah 9, 7. Thou art the Lord thy God, who did chose Abram, and brought us him forth out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave us him the name Abraham. And found us his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the Gesserites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. First thing I want you to see there is that even in the wilderness they had God's promise. Do you notice in the middle of verse 8, it said, You have made a covenant. This was the old covenant that God had made with the children of Israel, and that's under the dispensation of law. But still yet, it was God's word, it was faithful, and it was true, and they could trust it. In verse 9, he would go on to say, 
and did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea, and show us signs and wonders unto Pharaoh, and all his servants, and all the people of his land. For thou knewest that thou dealt proudly against them, so didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou dividest, uh, excuse me, and thou didst divide the sea before them, so that the sea, so they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their persecutors, those uh, threw us into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. He's talking there about that great miracle part in the Red Sea. He said, Moreover, thou leadest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. 13. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and speakest with them from heaven, and gavest them judgment and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Notice there in verse 13, he talks about Moses going up on Mount Sinai and coming down and being back with the children of Israel. Uh, a lot of folks just think that he went and got the Ten Commandments. He he got so much more than the Ten Commandments. He got uh, the, 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 the judgments of God. He got the laws of God and, and the good statutes. And he got so much instruction, over 600 laws that they had to keep and maintain in order to be in a right standing with God. And my friend, if that don't make you appreciate God's grace, uh, wow. What a, uh, so much better of a covenant we have. He said, It may known unto them the holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of thy servant Moses, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they shouldest go into the land uh, to possess the land which thou hast sworn unto them. Verse 15, not only do you see God's promise in verse 8, but you see it again in verse number 15 he says you promised them that they should go into that land and i know that i get a lot of amens if i were to ask you does god keep his promises uh, 16 and they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hardened not the uh, not to thy commandments and verse 17 and refused to obey neither were mindful of the wonders that thou didst among them but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage listen they they were uh, getting ready to go back in to bondage, go back into slavery. They said we would have been better off to stay there in slavery. My friend, I'm afraid so many people get caught in that trap today that the devil tells them they were better off in the bar, they were better off in the chaos, they were better off with the addiction. My friend, you are not better off. I'm telling you, nothing is better than being in God's protection and part of God's fold. But he is talking here about they refused to obey in verse 17. says they were not mindful of, of what you had done for them. They forgot God about the times that you parted the sea, the times that you gave them many, many victories. He just simply says they forgot about that. But here is a word, a little, conjunct, little conjunction, three little letters that make such a difference. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and forsookest them not. Hallelujah. Boy, what a what a God we serve, my friend. Again, this is all about you understanding that God is good. He said, but God, you are ready to ready to pardon. A pardon is only uh, for people that are guilty, only for people that are uh, unworthy of that, people that deserve, don't deserve it. When, when you're pardoned, it's as if it never happened. He said, God, you're ready to give them a pardon and you're gracious. What a word to describe our God merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm not him. Whenever they would have been so rebellious, I, I wonder if I would have took my cloud of, of, of uh, by day and my pillar of fire by night and just said, all right, I'm, I'm done. I'm taking my cloud and going home. 
uh, thank God that he is so much higher and greater than us. But they had God's uh, promise, and you see there that they still had God's provision. And uh, Look in 18. And when they had made, uh, and when they had made them a, a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt, and that wrought great provocations. For thou in thy manifold mercies forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also, listen, thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. Man, wow! What a God we serve. You see in verse 8 and 15, you see the promise. All through 19, uh, or 9 through 17, rather, you see his provision. But look in verse 20, you see his presence. And thou gave us also thy good spirit to instruct them. And God still let them partake of, of communion with him and uh, a, a, a great presence that he had with them whenever he would send his Holy Spirit to minister to them. And it says to instruct them and was held as not the manna from their mouth and gave us them water for the thirst. Even when they were rebellious, even when they were stiff necked, even when the Bible literally says they forgot about God, God was still true. God kept their mouth dry, kept their uh, dry mouth uh, full of good water, and kept their hungry bellies full of good manna. What a what a what a God we serve, man! Wow. And I'm, again, I'm talking to you about knowing Him and knowing what He's really like. Uh, even on our worst days, my friend, I want you to know that God is still good. I mean, whenever I don't do what I'm supposed to do, God is still good to me. Whenever I don't study as I should study, whenever I don't witness like I should witness, whenever I get literally like these folks and forget of the goodness of God, God is still faithful and God is still good to me. Look in verse 21 of Nehemiah 9. Yea, forty years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. What a powerful verse that is. What a powerful verse that is. And I want to go and give you just a, a New Testament parallel just for just for a minute about the, the, about the goodness of God. And so many people are taught and so many people think that uh, God, when bad things happen, it's God showing them that he's in control. And you've heard uh, people say that uh, God will put you on your back to make you see uh, how much you need him. And God will do all these bad things to get you to return. Well, that's all well and good, and it sounds well and good, but I just don't know that it's Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Listen to this verse. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Paul writes and says that God is good to us so that he can show his love toward us that will ultimately lead us back to him. Whenever we start to get uh, far from him, whenever we have marital problems or financial problems or just whatever problem, physical problem it may be, we start saying, God, where are you at? How can you let this happen? No, my friend, change your perspective to see him, what he's done for you, how he's blessed you, all the good in your life. And he said, child, I'm here. When you have forsaken every friendship that you had, when you destroyed every relationship that you had, when you've done all these things and all I'm all you have left, understand I'm still here, I'm still God, and I'm still good. One more thing I want to just come as we come to a close here in just a second is back to Deuteronomy chapter 2. I want to show you just here a, a quick verse and that'll help you again and see what God's really like. I wonder how many of us have just gone through 
the routine of being a quote-unquote Christian. We go to church. Uh, we, we may even pay our tithes. We may even uh, pray. We may do uh, even listen to the right music and, and all that kind of stuff that, that, that we're supposed to quote-unquote listen to. But we still just feel like we're, we're, we're on a routine. We feel like that when we go to church, it's just out, out of obligation or, or even out of, out of tradition or it's just simply it's Sunday and it's what we do. Uh, friend, God didn't send his son to die on a cross just so you can have a better social life. I, I want you to get off that routine today and get off that uh, circling today and get off that cycle today. Listen to this. He says, then we turned uh, Deuteronomy 2.1. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we can pass Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have come past this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. God literally spoke to them and said, You've been going around in circles long enough. You've gone through this cycle of long enough. The cycle they were on was just manna and water and routine and wandering. That wasn't what God wanted for them. God wanted to be with them and be their God and have a tabernacle and have a place where he could meet with them. Friend, God don't want you just going to church. God don't want you just having some uh, religious experience. God wants to know you intimately and, and personally and passionately. Get off the the religious cycle today get off the going to church today get off the cycle and routine of just uh, saying that i'm a christian really get into the word of god and understand and rightly divide the word of god and see what jesus done for you on the cross and the liberty praise the lord and the freedom that you have in christ where you don't have to keep those uh, routines and you don't have to do that stuff just so he'll love you God doesn't love you because you are good. God loves you because he is good. My friend, you've come past this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind. My friend, good Lord, God is so good to you. I hope today that this will help you again. See God for who he really is. Understand that he is a loving God. And get this, even in their darkest times, even in their rebellion, even in their judgment, God was still showing his grace. He was still willing to pardon. He was still gracious. He was still slow to anger. Friend, God's not mad at you. God loves you. God wants to hold you, commune with you, be with you. Today, would you choose him? You do the choosing. He'll do the changing. I'm so glad that he saved a wretch like me. Until next time, friend, thank you for listening. God bless you.